Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey guys, welcome to the show today. I'm very excited to introduce you to my new friend, Bobby Reimer, who is the owner of Writer's Den Music Group here in Nashville, which is a publishing company. And he has worked in the country music world for a long, long time. He used to work for Capitol Records in A&R, and then moved into the publishing world, and eventually started Writer's Den Music Group. And some of the artists that have recorded songs out of his catalog include Alan Jackson, Bonnie Raitt, Chris Stapleton, Rodney Crowell, Lanco, Alabama, Ricky Skaggs, and Lindsay L. I mean, that is just incredible. And uh, one of our mutual friends, Gordon Kennedy, who was on the first episode of our podcast, is one of the writers that currently writes for Bobby with Writers Den Music Group. And so Gordon is, is who connected Bobby and me to begin with. So, And you'll hear more about that in, in our conversation. So I'm excited for you to hear about about Bobby and his journey through the music industry. And he's got lots of great information to share. So if you're looking to get into this as an artist songwriter, or if you're looking to get into A&R or music publishing on the business side of things, this episode is definitely for you. So get your pen and pad and get ready to take lots of great notes. Hey guys, I am spending time with Mr. Bobby Reimer. How are you today, sir? I'm good, Marty. Thank you so much for letting me come to your office down here on Music Row. How cool is this? I Pleasure love to have you. I love getting to come to Music Row. I've been in this town for 20 years, and I've actually spent very little time on Music Row in, in the grand scheme of things. Really? Yeah. And so the chance, any chance I get to come down and be in an office down here, I'm still like a little kid. You know, you think after 20 years of being in the, in this industry, like everything would just kind of be like, yeah, it's just kind of ho hum and mundane kind of stuff. But I still get Super excited when I get to come down on Music Row and just kind of be where the magic happens. You know, I am, people, I, it's it's great to hear you say on. that because I am too. You know, yeah. it's, it's uh, it is a special place and you can sort of feel it. Yeah, you know? yeah. especially if, when you start to learn some of the history that's gone on with with the buildings up and down. Yeah, what buildings are left? Sure. Well, I tell you what, real quick here, um, just for my audience to know kind of how we know each other. This is our first time to officially get to meet in person. We've talked over the phone and over email a few times. Right. And Gordon Kennedy, who mm-hmm. was my first guest on this show, back if anyone needs to go back and listen to episode one, uh, Gordon Kennedy, he was talking about you and has known you for a long time. And he now writes for your publishing company. Correct. So, and he told me, he's like, you should reach out to Bobby. And uh, so I did, and you were kind enough to come on. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Thank you for coming to share your story. And Glad you're here. Give great advice. But this 
this building that we're in on Music Row, can you just real quick for our audience tell us where we are and what the significance is of this place? Well, uh, this building, uh, for those that don't know Music Row, I mean, it, it really is a neighborhood, and this was a neighborhood, and this, this is still a, a little house. Um, you know, we've got tour buses coming up and all up and down, and, and uh, I'm not sure how much history some of these folks know, but there's a lot of nondescript houses down here where uh, uh, writers and artists can sort of sneak in and out and be themselves and, and, and create for the day. And, right. and part of the reason we love this house is the writers, uh, they feel very comfortable. They can put their feet up. It's, uh, you can spill something. You're not doing any harm. It's just a, I don't think you can be creative in something sterile like a dentist office. You know? So you want something that's a little funky and a little old and a little odd, but yet comfortable. Yeah. So uh, uh, this house is, uh, it's uh, got a history of a lot of great songs being written in certain rooms and stuff. Mm. So, uh, Do you, can you tell what, what a couple of songs that well, people I know can, what I can say here? that uh, the house that we're in currently, uh, Carrie Underwood's management used to be in the basement, and she would write in uh, some of these rooms up here okay. back in the early day. Oh, wow. And um, I am told that uh, the actual room that we are in um, used to be uh, somewhere back in the 70s, I think early 70s, it was a little recording studio. And... Uh, People like Waylon and Christopherson and some of those folks used to come up the back steps. In and, this room? In this room we're in Dude, and do little awesome. work tapes in here. So, But you know what? Every, Pretty much every house up and down this row sure. has stories like of that. Yeah, but just to be able to now know officially that I'm sitting in a room where Waylon was recording or writing music is... Yeah, I, awesome. I was not here, but this is a story that I have been told. And yeah. it's, you know, you're not surprised. Yeah. So, so I mean, what did you do when, because I know you're not officially in this building any longer. We're, we're loaning, <laughs> this mm -hmm, is being loaned out to mm -hmm. us to be in here. But when you were based out of this, uh, out of this house, what were you doing here? What company was based out of here with you? Uh, a company called Writer's Den Music Group okay. uh, that I was running and still currently. Okay, that's what you're doing. Now you're just not in this particular location. Correct. I got correct. you. And Writer's um, Den is a publishing company. Correct. Yeah. And, um, you know, here again, when, when Writer's Den sort of, sort of got into being, I was looking for some office space, and there was a friend of mine that was in this building, and uh, I rented a room from him. And uh, after a few months, he, he decided to move on, and I, I needed more space, so I sort of took over a large part of this building and, and uh, and like I said, it's a little funky, but the writers absolutely loved it. The room that we're in actually has some of that old pine paneling. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, totally it looks right out of the 70s. It is. It's completely out of the 70s still, yeah. which I love. And, <laughs> so uh, cool. and the writers just loved this. Yeah. You know, they'd come come in and hang and feel comfortable. And, and that's, what, that's what you want writers. You want to create a, an, an area that they feel safe and comfortable just to be who they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, this is a, an odd question, but it just popped in my head, and I've never asked anybody this. So if someone is coming to Nashville and they're wanting to rent space on Music Row because they're wanting an office either as a publisher, as a writer, you know, to record stuff or whatever it is, like for a, for a house like this, because you said you were renting and, and Carrie Underwood's people were renting space in different rooms and things like that, like what can I ask, like what would an estimate average be to rent a, either a house on Music Row or a, a room out of a house on Music Row? Like, is there, or is this just so varied? You know, how does somebody go even go about doing that to rent 
something on music. Well, there is want. space available. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's a little more expensive these days, and it, you could have probably come down here in two thousand eight or ten and and bought Music Row for a million dollars, and now it's it's uh, it's gone through the roof. Yeah. Uh, but so there is still space available. Um, you're you know if you could find a little room for a few hundred dollars, you'd probably be doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, uh, to rent a house, you're probably up in the thousands, yeah. you know, per month. Yeah. But there, but you can rent like a room out of a house, out of someone else's space. You could. You know, and you just got to you got to dig for you it. Could. You, you know. could. Okay. Just a little something I was just curious yeah. about. <laughs> so, because somebody somebody listening at some point is wanting to move to town, and thinking I want to be on Music Row, and I want to I want to have an office, or I want to have a, a room, or something to work out of on Music Row, and how do I go about that, and what's yeah. that going to look like to do that? So. Yeah, you know, I would. Uh, I would caution them if that's what they want to do. It's it's nice to have an, an address on Music Row, mm-hmm. and there's still a lot of business down here. Uh, but the business has expanded to different areas of the town. And, um, and you know, really, if you've got a... If you've got a cell phone and a laptop, you can do a lot of business just with that. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it would be nice to have an office down here. Uh, I don't doubt that. But, um, you know, in, in this business, there's the day gig and the night gig. And the day gig is, is sort of, for, for my part, pitching songs and having meetings and all that kind of thing. But then there's the night gig as well, and that's out at showcases and, and meeting people during that time right um so i would just if i was just coming to town i would uh you know i'm a big proponent of spend money smartly um and i would just look over all my options and what i wanted to accomplish and how yeah and and that's that's good advice and i think it it's got more weight to it coming from you because as we were talking before we started recording you don't use this office anymore but you do work off of your laptop and your phone right and you know, everything is done pretty much remotely and you can kind of go everywhere. So wherever you can find a quiet spot to do your work is your office nowadays. And so Correct. to have someone of of your caliber of what you've done for a living in this in this industry as a publisher and uh, and you've done A&R and different things like that, we'll get into all that kind of stuff. But the success that you've had and to say, hear from you saying, you don't have to be on Music Row. You don't have to be in an office space. You can do this off of your computer and off your phone and just kind of wherever you can, can find a place to do it and be successful at that. So I think that carries a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you being willing sure. to say that. So, all right, all that aside, let's, let's backtrack a minute and kind of start from the beginning. Tell us where you're from and how you got into music and kind of what set you on your journey in this industry. Uh, you will hear me use this term on more than one occasion, but I'll, I will start with the term happy accident. Okay. Uh, and and for me that is the key, uh, and we'll, we'll come back to that. So I'm from a little town south of here called Tullahoma, about an hour and a half oh, yeah. south. Um, small town, wonderful place, great place to grow up. Um, took drum lessons, guitar lessons, piano lessons, just because um, drums sort of stuck. I guess I was a little ADD, and that sort of worked for me. Right. Uh, played in bands, uh, marching band, the whole deal. Really just just loved that. And uh, there was a little music store uh, in that town uh, that I worked uh, at all through high school. 
and I'm not sure I ever cashed a check. You know, I bought drums and guitars and cassettes and eight tracks at the time and just devoured everything that I could. Yeah. Um, and I remember as a young kid and teenager, I had a little record player by my bed, and every night I would put on a stack of records, everything from Haggard to Zeppelin to Benny Goodman to just all kind Rachmaninoff, all kinds of music, and I'd put headphones on and fall asleep with that every night. Um, here again, not knowing why, I just loved the music. Mm-hmm. And uh, long story short, ended up going to uh, MTSU, which is a wonderful uh, college. Actually, I'll back up. I was at a community college first and took a couple of psychology courses and a social work course and for whatever reason fell into that. And then ended up going to MTSU, got a degree in social work, um, got married, started graduate school. Uh, my wife is a nurse and was supporting us. And I can remember just like it was yesterday, I'm sitting in this social work class and it was just like someone poured a bucket of ice water over me. I woke up from a dream. And I thought, you know what? I really like this. I really like social work. I was wanting to work with the elderly and nursing homes and mm-hmm. all that. But this is not my passion. And uh, I'd had some friends that had gone to this program at MTSU, and I, and I knew about it. So I walked home or, or drove home, walked in the door. My wife was there. And here again, just newly married. She's supporting us. And I said, I want to go back to school and get a degree in the music business. And she could not have been more supportive. Incredible. I mean, extremely blessed in that regard. Yeah. Uh, so went back, got that degree, finished it. And here comes the happy accidents part. A friend of mine that I knew had gone through the program. He called me and said, look, I, I'm working at this record store. I just got the gig at Capitol Records in the mailroom. Okay. Would you like me to put your name in for this um, position at the record store. Okay. Absolutely. I need a job. I need to start supporting us. So I got that gig. Nine months later, this same gentleman called me and said, hey, I just got promoted out of the mailroom at Capitol. Would you like me to put your name in for this? Absolutely. And I'll never forget uh, coming home one day, and I'd gone to interview at Capitol, but I came home one day and uh, on my voice message machine, which you don't have that anymore, there was a message uh, from someone at Capitol Records saying, hey, Bobby, we'd like for you to come in. We'd, we'd like to hire you. Okay. And I thought I had won the lottery. Yeah. I am now in the music business. Yeah. Still having no idea what I really wanted to do, I just knew music was all I wanted to do in some form or fashion. So started in the mailroom and was just on cloud nine. Now, for, for listeners to know, mm-hmm. the mailroom is the bottom of the totem pole. It is It is where a lot of people start. I mean, it is a male room. I mean, it's like the movie Elf when, yeah. when he goes down and works in the... Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. it. <laughs> that's it. Right? And I just... You know, I'm... I'm and it was... I, I was blessed. A, a gentleman by the name of Jim Fogelsong was running the label. Um, another gentleman by the name of Lynn Schultz was running the A&R department. And another gentleman by the name of Terry Choate was in the A&R department. And I could not have had a better training. Uh, it, it was incredible. Um, it was it was a different time. We weren't selling a lot of records. I think fifty thousand records was a lot at that time. A um, hundred thousand was wow. We we're on our way. We've mm-hmm. got a big hit. Now when when was this? What year? Do you this think, would have roughly? been. I started there in eighty five. Okay, nineteen eighty five. Um, and not 
uh, I don't know, within a year or so after that, I got promoted into the A&R department. Okay, let's let's stay there for a second. <laughs> I want to stay in the mailroom for a moment. <laughs> okay. Because I want to talk about, because for people that are wanting to get into this business and they're wanting to move to a music city, whether it be Nashville, LA, New York, whatever it is, and they're trying to get their first steps into the industry. Yeah. You know, I want to work at a record label. How do I do that? Well, you start in the mailroom for most people, more than likely. Now, some nowadays that I know online, you can do, you can search, you know, jobs that are, people are looking for. You have to have a degree in certain, certain things, whatever. But if you yeah. don't, if you don't necessarily have a degree for that specific thing they're looking for, you're going to start in the mailroom. So what do you do in the mailroom and how long do you typically have to stay there before you can get promoted up to something bigger? You know what? Yeah, you're bringing up a good point. Um, here again, I did not know what I wanted to do. I just know I wanted it to be in the music business. So right. I was going to get in any way I could. And you're just sort of checking every trap that you can. Um, just so happened I knew this guy. He called. I got into the mailroom. Which is a relationship. A happy accident. Which is what I just this happened. business is based on is relationships. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just knew, give me a chance and I will prove to you mm-hmm. You know, hey, I'm going to be the first person there, and I'm going to be the last person there, and I'm going to mm-hmm. do anything and everything that you ask of me and more. And it's just that. And I think any opportunity that you get, get in and prove your worth. Um, and I and I think that was key, uh, having come from parents with good work ethic. Uh, that was just sort of instilled. But I knew I wanted to be in this business. Um, and I think... People that are in this business, they can look back, and there's certain times that you have to ask yourself, how bad do I want it? Mm-hmm. Because there's always going to be situations that come up where you are uh, challenged, and that question comes up. Yep. And I just knew that I wanted this really, really bad. Still did not know my direction, per se, but I just thought, all right, I'm going to work my butt off in this and prove to them that I'm a, I'm a good asset. Right. Um and then there just happened to be that the uh, uh, there was an opening in A and R, and they needed someone else in that position. And uh, here again, these are these are wonderful people that I was blessed to work with, and they they looked within as opposed to looking without. Yeah. So how long outside. were you how long were you in the the mail room? You think before I think you got maybe promoted? a year and a half, something like that, okay. maybe. Uh, which I was just biding my time, waiting, you know, and and learning really learning the business. Um, so what do you, okay, that's a good question. What do you learn about the music business by working in a mailroom at a record label? You know, I got a degree in the music business. Okay. And it was a yep. wonderful degree. Yep. Uh, and I wouldn't take anything for it. That being said, for me, there were two things that were really worth their weight in gold in this program. Number one was was the internships, because mm-hmm. I did a couple of internships, and you start to really learn the business that way and make those make some connections. Right. And people see your work ethic. And the other thing was a, a course called Copyright Law. Uh, law is the law. But the music business, you really don't start to understand how it works until you're in it. Right. Um, and uh, there's certain things that are that are taught out of books, and, and they're somewhat broad, but you really don't understand the business until you're inside and see the day-to-day workings right. and the relationships and how you treat people and how things are done, the, the details. Um, and so for a year and a half, I'm just soaking everything I can in, watching how deals are done and how they're 
treating other people and how uh, how you find talent and find songs and and all of that. So how do you do that from the mailroom? I'm just curious. Just out of curiosity. How do you do? How do you? If you're in the if you're in the mailroom, maybe you have to explain you know like where you are in the building compared to where A and R and those things are. But as far as like if you're in the, working in the mailroom doing work mm-hmm. over here, and you're sorting mail and whatever else right, happens right, in the right, mailroom, right, right. how are you learning about how deals are made? They let by... me sit on meetings. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were they were absolutely wonderful. Oh. They would come back and talk to me, and I I just got to twenty question them to death, and okay. they would let me sit in on meetings and... just to sit back in a corner and just watch. Yep. And, and and go to different events and okay. stuff. I mean, so I took advantage of everything that I could while I was there. Now, is that is that normal for people to I, do that? It was normal for me. Okay. I don't know. but And I know it's somewhat – some of the people that I grew up with, they had the same experience. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't say that that's normal now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just know for me that I was more than willing to uh, get in and, and show them my work ethic and – and they were kind enough to let me experience some things. Yeah. That- so the reason I'm I'm trying to wrap it around my head is because, like, I think Capitol Records, I think, you know, big, you know, 12-story building, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you, you know, and you're in the basement. <laughs> you think mailroom, you think basement, yeah. you know, as opposed to the executives on top doing right. all the all the signings, that kind of thing. And when I first came to town uh, 20 years ago, I had an internship at an indie label, very small. And, you know, it was... It was like four offices. It was just, you know, it was really, really small. It's no bigger than this house right. that we're in probably. So, you know, I'm in the mail room doing whatever, but we're all kind of just there. We're all one room from each other. And so everybody's interacting all the time, whereas opposed to Capitol Records is this much larger major label entity, you know. So that's where I'm trying to figure yeah, out. It okay. was somewhat it was somewhat smaller in okay. the 80s. Yeah. Um, well, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were uh, on a building on 16th and... Uh, um, it was two floors. Um, oh, not twelve. <laughs> yeah, but it was very. It was very. Um, I mean, this term gets used a lot in this town, but it was very family. Yeah. Free. I mean, once you're sort of brought inside, yeah, you're, you're sort part of, of it. You're, you're part of it. You know, sure. and, and you're just included. You're not. Yeah. You're not held at arm's length. Now, do you included. think that's the same? That's it's that way nowadays because the music industry has changed so much. If someone were to come and get an internship or a job. At you know, as in the mailroom, whatever nowadays at a label, do you think it would have that same feel to it, family oriented kind of thing, where it's just inclusive? I, you you would like to think so, yeah. but it's gotten so much bigger. Yeah. You know, that's uh, today. I have a, a very much an affinity for the, the smaller independent because I think that's where you can stand out and show right. your worth and, and all that. I think that some of the larger companies, um, you know, I tell a lot of college students today if. If you can try to work at a smaller company because you'll stand out a little more as opposed to a, a larger company that just churns interns in and out every semester. Right. Not to say that you couldn't get something out of that, sure. but you just sort of increase your odds at a smaller. Right. Like what you're talking about, you. If you're there, they know it, and if you're right. not, they don't know it. And right. some of these other places, they might not see you for weeks at a time. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so then you. A year and a half or so, you said. Something then you, like that, yeah. You graduated it, up to yep. and became, got to be A&R. A&R. And, and, and that's a huge leap because it, now you're able to, that's signing artists to the label kind of a well, thing. Well, my, my main job was to go out and find songs for the artists that were on the label. Okay. And and at this point, I thought, hey, this is pretty fun. Yeah. I like this. 
so I started meeting with the, the publishers that were in town, sort of on my level, the young guns that are, are coming up. And and uh, and I thought, you know what, this is, I like this. We're going out and looking for songs for Barbara Mandurell and Newgrass and Tanya Tucker and T. Graham Brown. And, oh, man. And I'm just going, okay, this is, this is, this is pretty fun. This yeah. might be it. You know? And for people that are listening that don't know who those artists are, they need to go back and... That, uh, I grew up on those artists. Yeah. So if you don't know Barbara Mandrell and T. Graham Brown, like you need to just go do a YouTube search. You, and if find you want some. to consider the music business a career, you better know your history. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and they're all, they're all a part of it. Yep. Um, so it was just here again. That I, I was just I, I was brought into the fold and and treated uh, very respectfully, and I and I I tried to do my best work and. I was just having a blast. I just let me ask you this: so you're going out and you're trying to find songs mm-hmm. for Barbara Mandrell, mm-hmm. right, or T. Graham Brown or whoever? Mm-hmm. How would you find a song? Like what? What are you looking for in a song? And that says, I think that fits Barbara Mandrell. You know what? That's that's a great question because I didn't get a degree in this. Right. Exactly. You know. Uh, so this is very much on-the-job training, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, I would sit with Terry Choate or Lynn Schultz, and they would say, "Okay, here's what we found, and 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 here's what we've we've talked to the artists, and here's what we know they're maybe looking for, you know." And at the time, a lot of artists uh, did not write a lot. Some right. So there was a lot of room for what we call outside cuts that the artist did not write. Mm-hmm. So we had to go really find these songs and and just learning from Terry and Lynn, I got a lot of a lot of help and direction on that. Okay. And uh, you know, but but basically, you go out and find things that you're passionate about, and you mm-hmm. come back and you go, okay, is there a home for this somewhere on the label? Mm-hmm. Now, are um, you going to publishing companies around town, right, to, right, to right. find them, or are, do you ever go? Do you find people outside of publishing houses that are writers? Not, not so much in that day. Okay. Not so much, you know. And then we would always let the publishing companies know, hey, hey here's what Barbara's looking for right. or T is looking for. So when you go have a meeting, they're sort of they're aiming at that thing that you said you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it, was, it was very much on-the-job training. Uh, and, and there is no other way to do that. Mm-hmm. You just start listening to a lot of songs and critiquing them to see if they sort of check off all the boxes that you're mm-hmm. looking for. Is there anything that you could advice that you could give to someone who is wanting to be, uh, wants to get into, you know, song plugging or reaching out, you know, doing the A&R job that you were doing at the time mm-hmm. where you're going out and looking for the songs and you're meeting with publishing companies, you know, like when you approach them, you know, do you say, Hey, I'm, Bobby Reimer with Capitol Records. I'm looking for music for Barbara Mandrell. Do you have anything for me? Like, is that how you approach it? Or is it, how would you tell someone who is in your position mm-hmm. nowadays mm-hmm. that is an A&R person or a song plug or someone that's going out and trying to find songs for an artist or maybe even for themselves as an artist and they're looking for songs to record, how would you guide them to reach out to a publishing company? And how do I phrase my questioning to them saying I'm looking for this kind of music for an artist? Does that make sense? It, it does. It, uh, you know what? This goes back to doing your homework. You better know the history of the person that you're going to go after. 
okay. and sort of who they've worked with and yeah. what they've done. Right. And you better know who they're working with now. Uh, you better not show up just going, hey, I'm looking for X, when in reality, all they have is Y. Okay. So you, you better come educated. And it's easy to do that. You just research. It's funny. Uh, I go back to one of my first internships. Um, I remember the gentleman handed me Billboard magazine and the country charts. And he said, Bobby, you better know every artist, every label, every producer, and it's got the writer information on there. Study this. So it just becomes second nature. This is where you start. You don't have to, you don't need to pause when somebody asks you who's producing Trisha Yearwood or who wrote the latest hit for whoever. You better understand and know this. And I thought, oh, okay, that's that's your that's groundwork. Great. Yeah. This is what you need to know. So before you knock on a door or make a phone call to a company, you better understand who it is you're talking to because if you don't, they're going to quickly realize you don't want this bad enough or you haven't done your homework. You should know this ahead of time. Right. You know? Yeah. So, you know, if, if we knew we were looking for songs for, say, T. Graham Brown, who had this sort of great bluesy R&B feel to him, mm -hmm. we knew certain publishers who had certain writers that sort of did that kind of thing. Right. So we immediately knew who our first calls were out to. And the publishers do too. We let them know. Here's here's the here's the style of music that we're looking for. Here's what we need. We need a great love ballad. We need something we can get on drive time radio. You know mm -hmm. that first out of the box single. But it's educating yourself on both sides of the desk is is vital. Yeah. Who, what, when, and where, and and the history of it. So knowing the Billboard charts is bottom line it's like you, that's your starting point yeah you need to know everything that's happening on those charts all the names sure that are connected to the artist and the sure. labels on those charts you know and for me one of the things that i love about modern technology is uh take any artist you know whoever your favorite artist is i love going okay now who is their favorite artist mm -hmm. who influenced them and then who is their favorite and just digging back it's just a and the same thing with songwriters you just keep digging and digging and digging. Next thing you know, you've got this long history of of great music mm -hmm. and the people that created it. Yeah. And uh, that's a that's always a good base to come from. Sure, that's great. Thank you for mm -hmm. sharing that. Uh, so, how long were you in the the A and R position at Capital? Uh, up until the December of '89. Okay, so about and, four years. Uh, you you know what? And and I'll go back just a little bit. So. When I got in the mailroom, I wish I could remember who said this. It doesn't really matter. But within the first two or three days, somebody came up to me and said, hey, congratulations, you're in the music business. You'll never get a gold watch. Mm. And I thought, what do you mean by that? And he said, Bobby, you'll never be at a job long enough to get a gold watch in this business. And I thought, well, that's a odd thing to say, but okay, thanks, I think. Yeah. So December 89... There was a regime change at Capitol. Came out uh, from the, the head offices out in L.A. Uh, an individual uh, came in and fired everybody except the guy in the mailroom. Oops. <laughs> so I'm out, and that's okay. And everybody's going, okay, you're yeah. welcome to the music. I, here again, I remember somebody coming up saying, welcome to the music business. You've been fired. Congratulations. And I thought, well, what am I going to do now? And... Um, 
here again, one of these moments when you have to ask yourself, how bad do I want it? Do I want to do something else or do I want to do this? And it was, it was not even a question for me. I thought, all right, I'll just start being out. And uh, here again, happy accident. Um, you know, and, and, and the term happy accident, you can, you can put yourself in position to, to do increase your odds for these things to happen. Um, I knew opportunity was not going to come knock on my door. I had to go out and meet it. So you're out at night where things are happening. Uh, you're, you're sort of out at, during the day, too, having coffee meetings and just, just still being, keeping your face out there. Um, and I was at a uh, little market. It was lunchtime, and I was grabbing myself a little sandwich and I'm sure a, a Coke or something. And I bumped into a publisher friend of mine that I knew that used to play me songs. And this was, this was probably March of 90. So I'd been out of a job for about three months. And uh, it was a guy by the name of Chris Oglesby who was at this company called Almo Irving at the time. And he, he said, hey, are you still looking for a, for a gig? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but there's a tape copy position open at our company and in reality I thought well that's sort of a step back and my right. ego took a little bit of a hit but I thought hey a job is a job and I still want to be in this business yep. and um, and I went and interviewed and felt great about this company it was this at the time the world's largest independent publishing company owned by Herb Albert and Jerry Moss of A&M Records fame okay. yeah. and, uh, and they had just signed their sixth writer, this young kid from Mississippi called Craig Wiseman. <laughs> and, I, and I just, I had a good feeling about everything, and I was crossing my fingers. And long story short, I get a phone call, and I'm starting in the tape copy, which is the ground floor of a publishing company. Yeah. It's and like can the, you explain real quick for people, what, what do you do in that position as in Cape and tape? Yeah, that, I don't know if the term is still used. I mean, we still use it. I, I made cassettes or reel to reel. So if, if, uh, if somebody wanted to have a pitch meeting to go to a label uh, and they want to play these eight or 10 songs, they would come up with a list and say, Hey Bobby, can you make me a cassette or a reel to reel at the time of these eight or 10 songs that I want to go play? And I would, make the the cassette and type up the label and wrap the lyric and off they go. Gotcha. Now, the tape copy is absolutely the best place to start at a publishing company because you that's where you learn the catalog. That's mm. where you learn the songs. That's where you learn the writers. The writers would come down and say, hey, I just wrote these three songs. Can you put this in the system? And so you get to spend time. You get to start making those relationships and it uh, uh, you can't do it otherwise. So I was down in tape copy for a period of, I think, almost three years. Here again, very small company. Um, it's, it's not like a large company where things are coming up sort of all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm down there learning, um, soaking it all in, and, um, and it just so happened that, that, that Chris got a job offer elsewhere, and so there was a, a vacancy, and I just nat sort of naturally moved up to his spot. And... Uh, and I will say this. In what position is that? Uh, song plugger. Song plugger. Okay. Yeah. And I will say this. When I, when, that's sort of when the light bulb went off for me uh, when I started working at this publishing company. That's when I can look back at all these sort of my history from being a child, listening to all these kinds of records and music and just not knowing why. It's just because I love music. 
But I realized at that point that a songwriter could bring a song in and my job was to pitch it. Not just a music row. I had the entire planet to try to find a place for that three and a half minute creation. Mm -hmm. That's when the light bulb went off and I said, okay, this is all I ever want to do. I am at ground zero working with the creators that create these things out of thin air and I get to help try to find a home for it. Um, at that point, I would have said, I would do this for nothing. This is this is it. You know, I've always thought about, uh, to me, the music business looks like an upside-down pyramid, you know? Mm -hmm. And at the very bottom of that pyramid, the tip, what everything is resting on, what everything is built off of, it's the songs right. that these songwriters create. There would be no music business without the music. Right. And so I thought, okay, this this is as good as it gets for me. So I just absolutely dove in. I mean, uh, you're just blessed by being around all these creative people. And it is, uh, you know, I can remember one day specifically, at the time my wife and I lived uh, in Franklin, which is uh, sort of a suburb yeah, of Nashville. that's where I live. Yeah, just a few miles out. Yeah. And I'm driving in one morning, and uh, and traffic had come to a halt on the interstate. And I'm looking around, I look to my left, I look to my right, I look in the rearview mirror, and everywhere I look, people have a sour look on their face. This is the way they're starting their day. <laughs> yeah. And I realized I cannot wait to get to work. Mm -hmm. I'm the most blessed person on this planet. Yeah. And I just, I, you just have to pinch yourself. And I still do that, you know? Yeah. My feet hit the floor in the morning. I cannot wait to do this because it's a, uh, you know, people ask me all the time, how you doing? And I just say, every day's Christmas. And I learned that from a friend of mine. And when you think about it, it is, especially in my position. Sure. Every day is Christmas. I get to work with these incredibly gifted writers and I'm unwrapping these gifts every day. And sometimes it's, uh, uh, sometimes it's underwear and there's nothing wrong with that. You need that. And sometimes <laughs> it's a brand new shiny bike. Right, and so uh, that's just the way I look at it, and that's what keeps me motivated and excited about every day in this business. Yeah, and that's encouraging to hear that, and for listeners to to hear that. You know, I think you have to have you have to have that joy and that passion for what mm -hmm. you're doing to make it in this industry. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if you if you're one of the people that has a sour look on your face, and and you're trying to be do music for a living and you're the guy that's sour got the sour face on something's wrong right you know because how many people in this grand scheme of things get to do what we do for a living you're it's right. a very small portion it's a very right. small percentage of people yeah, in the right, world who get to do this I and mean, so it, for those of us that do get to do it and get to make a living at it man we we're the we should be the happiest people in the world <laughs> You know, I mean, this is, I mean, it's the fun business, yeah. you know, I mean, there's a lot of work yeah. involved. And it should be, let me say this for, cause not everybody listening is a musician and once some people are just listening for the enjoyment of, of mm -hmm. hearing your story, whatever, that should be the case for whatever you do in life. You should be the happiest person in the world doing what you do. And if you're not, then you're in the wrong, you're doing the wrong thing. You need to go find what it is. And maybe it's music. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, I mean, every, everybody has to figure out what works for them. What worked for me was following my passion. Yeah, you know, I didn't know exactly where it would lead, uh, but here again, these happy accidents along yeah. the way. And then you found it. And then I found it. You know, because you got put in that position, and you right. realize, okay, this is this is what I want. This is what makes me happy and joyful to do. Yeah, I mean, so. it, it is. Uh, you know, been doing this for 
for, for a while, uh, but I, I constantly find myself still going back to that 14-year-old kid in his room with the headphones on, listening to all these records that I was passionate about at the time. And I've still got those albums. And what really blows my mind is I can pull those albums out and look at the liner notes and and I start reading all the credits and I'm like, I know most of these people. Mm -hmm. A lot of these people, I've got their number in my cell phone now. Mm -hmm. That is, that 14-year-old kid, you could not... <laughs> Right. You could not make him believe that sure. at the time. Yeah. And you're just... Uh... Well, I, I can sit and say, say the same thing about knowing you now. It's like your number is in my phone. And knowing all the stuff that you've got gotten to do over your career, you know, the people I've listened to growing up, Barbara Mandrell and T. Graham Brown, and, you know, Gordon Kennedy and all these people. And it's like, wait, I know the guy who's worked with all these people, you know, and has helped shape their careers in some form or fashion. And, you know, that's just a, just as cool for me, yeah. you know, as that just, is, was for you. So there's a reason we walk around with a smile on our face. Yeah, there? absolutely. So you worked for that company for a while, song plugging. So, um, and I've had other guests on that I've done song plugging, but real quick, just for new listeners, explain what your position is as a song plugger. What would you do in that position? It was, being aware of the labels in town, the artists in town. Here again, you, you can pitch anywhere, but my position at the time was mainly focusing on Music Row and, and what was going on there. And your job is to go out and try to find a home for these songs, you know. Your job to a certain extent for, for a little bit is, at that point was, hey, if you happen to run across a great writer, you know, let's bring them into the fold. But my main job at that point in time was, was trying to find a home for these songs. And uh, and definitely being aware of all the the young writers coming into town. Here again, day job, night job. Mm -hmm. You know, night job. You're out at these songwriting venues, just being aware of who the mm -hmm. the new kids are. So it's kind of an opposite position of what you had as A and R at the label. Completely, because at the label you were going out trying to find yeah. the songs, and then as a song plugger, you're going out trying to pitch the songs to the people that the position that you had been in previously. It's the same job. I'm just on the other side of the desk. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, and yep. uh, here again, you're just you're devouring as much music as you can. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's well, why I can't remember where my I parked my car because it's right. songs up in there. Uh, just out of curiosity, what would be a couple of the biggest hits that you were a part of as far as getting songs plugged, pitched, or signed? You know what? That's a great question, and I uh, uh, I don't know if this is. I guess it's just my makeup. I can't remember. A lot of specifics. I was. I'm sort of the type of attitude. Once that job is done, I, I turn around. I focus on Keep the other. Going. Sure. Um, we had. Uh, there was a Faith Hill song called "This Kiss." Yeah. Uh, that was part of that catalog. There was a, another song called "I Can't Make You Love Me." Yeah. Uh, Mike Reed. Uh, that uh, Bonnie Raitt cut. Oh, wait. Uh, so what did you have? What part did you have to play in those? I didn't. Songs? I don't know if I played any part. Okay. But, you know, but we were there for that while and, it happened. And, yeah, and and you remember? You know, it's funny. Some of these songs... I love that in. song. I Can't Make oh, You Love Me. Sure. It's one of my favorites. Sure. But, you know, it's it's funny. Some of these songs come in, you know, when you're at this publishing company, the writer will turn a song in, and you're like, wow, that's really good. I wonder if that'll ever get mm -hmm. cut. You don't expect it to turn into something like that. Sure. So you hear these songs before. And now there's, on the other side, there's there's songs come in, you're like, this is a hit. This is a hit. And you've, 
do you never hear from it again for whatever reason? It's you're again all these happy accidents. But I can remember specifically. I, I, here's one thing I do remember: we had a wonderful songwriter by the name of Kent Robbins, um, who who unfortunately died um, a number of years ago. But I remember specifically Kent would like to take some time off, just to sort of a week or two, just to sort of do nothing and just sort of recharge. And I remember he called me uh, one time on break just to touch in. Hey, man, how's it going? I said, oh, it's going great, Ken. How are you doing? He said, eh. I said, what's wrong? He said, oh, I came home last night, and uh, you know nobody was at home, but uh, I could see the house before I got there because all the outside lights were, were left on and all the inside lights were left on. And it Let was- me guess. Can I just take a stab? Sure. Because I don't know the answer, but I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Every light in the house is on by Trace Atkins. That's it. Is it? it? <laughs> That's it. And, and Kent is telling me all this, and he just thought, "Man, every light in the house oh, is goodness. on." That's awesome. And he said, "It's sort of." And he he told me that he was just starting to write this. Okay. And he was telling me a, a, two or three lines of it, and I just said, "Kent, hang up the phone, hang up the phone," because I love this idea. And he came in a couple of days later with that idea, and it was like, "Okay, this has got this is incredible. What an idea!" Mm-hmm. And uh, we pitched it to Trace, and boom, there you go. Okay, so now let's kind of get in the weeds on that for a second. So can you walk me through the process? Because somebody listening wants to be a song plugger someday, Mm -hmm. or they're working at it now trying trying to make that job happen. So you find a song, and you're thinking, okay, this would be a great... Did you think... Trace Atkins at the time? Was that the person you thought of? Or like, what's the process from going, this is a great song, we're going to pitch it, to getting it to Trace Atkins? Can you walk well, me through now that? now you're getting, yeah. And, and, and I can't remember this. I mean, this has been a while ago. I can't remember the specifics. But I do remember that Trace was on the pitch sheet, which is something that we had saying, okay, this artist is on this label looking for these kind of songs. Okay. And Trace was a new artist at the time. Right. And... We we just I can't remember the specifics. We just thought it would be a good pitch. So technically, you got this pitch sheet that has his name on it, saying he's looking for songs, right? That, and we that and might we, fit that. And yeah, so we knew can, the producer. We knew Trace. We we just knew. Okay. I mean, here again, you do your due diligence. You just gather this information, mm-hmm. and we. Uh, I just remember that we thought Trace would be a good okay pitch. We pitched it to I think his producer at okay. the time who played it for Trace and we got a call Liked back it. okay this is yeah, yeah happened and I and going sort of full circle I remember it was cut it made the record they did a video and Kent was in my office when the video was being premiered on CMT mm-hmm. and watching the video for the first time and just it's just sort of coming full circle it's like sure. wow yeah i mean thank god his wife and kids left the lights on you know <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just here again. You just you can't plan these things. Sure. You know. Yeah. But the great thing about Kent was, you know, I've heard this said from a lot of songwriters. You know, you you do try to show up. It is a job. It is a business. You show up and you do the work, but your songwriting antenna is always up, twenty four seven, because you never know where these thoughts, ideas, are going to come from. Mm-hmm. And in Kent's, and they come from anywhere. They come from anywhere at any time. You know. And so you you pay attention to those kind of things. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say that. There's a song that a friend, one of my best friends and I wrote. Turns out I just found the song again. Like we did a work, we wrote it like ten years ago. Found a work tape of it on my computer uh, just a few days ago. Had forgotten about it and listened to it, and I thought, dude, 
in my opinion, I think this is a hit song. I think this is a hit country song. And I remember when we wrote it, we thought that as well. My friend Jacob Wiley and I wrote mm. this together. It's called Why Don't You Cry? Mm. You know, because you think the idea, is, when you think the phrase, you know, why don't you cry? You think, why don't you cry about it? You know, like, wow, you know, that right. kind of thing. But it's the opposite. It's it's written from a perspective. It's from the guy's perspective. The re- relationship is falling apart, has fallen apart, and she could care less. She's moving on with her life, and he's saying, you know, my life is falling apart. Why don't you cry about it too? Like that's the idea, and um, you know, and I just pulled it out actually yesterday. Actually, I went through, listened to it, had to rechart the whole song out because it's got some different types of chords in it that I'm not used to playing. It's not one, you know, one, four, five, six minor right, kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, and I thought, where did that idea come from? Like we sat down in in a recording studio to to write that one day, and just thought it was the coolest thing. I don't know where the idea came from. But I listen to it now, I think, man, that is a... I still think that's a great song. But, you know, I love what you said there. <laughs> and I love doing this, Marty. You, 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 I think you constantly have to revisit songs, mm-hmm. you know, because we miss things all the time. Yeah. We're, we're human. You know, this is not a science. This is an art. And and uh, I can hear a song one morning, and, and maybe it doesn't hit me, and then maybe two weeks later go, how, how did I miss this? Sure. So... I think that's important that we we go back and just sort of occasionally revisit these things because mm-hmm. we all sort of get caught up in the latest is the greatest kind of thing and it's like well there's some truth in that but you know what the latest could be ten years old too right sure so it's it's just good to revisit those well there's things. such a huge depth of of music out there you know like there are so many songs that songwriters write right it's, that never get heard even if you're signed to a publisher or to a label. The majority of them are locked in a vault and never see the light of day, you know. And most of them are amazing songs. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason, they don't they don't show up anywhere. It's just because there's, you know, there's only so much bandwidth, right? You know, for for you know for songs to get out for the people to hear or however that you know whatever reasoning that is, we don't we don't get to see as much as we should. Sometimes. Yeah. That that <clears throat> that tends to break my heart sometimes when you think about that. Mm-hmm. You know these these creations that writers have put their heart and soul into and uh, they're sitting in a dark corner somewhere probably never to be heard from again. Mm-hmm. It, it really it really does hurt, you know. Uh, but Now, is there a reason why to not... Like, I, I know the answer, but it's... But sometimes I feel like I don't know the answer. <laughs> it's like, if, if a song is so good mm-hmm. and... The publisher knows it if it's if it's signed to a publishing company, and the publisher knows it. Why would you not continue? I, I know that there's got to be always new stuff. There's right. always no, more, more, more. I got that. Right. But if you just know, like there's there's something to the song. Like why would you not continue to try to find a place for it? So <clears throat> somewhere along the way, it's a great question. Uh, I don't know if this is the answer, but this is my answer. Um, I think a lot of songs have a timestamp on them because they're written in the current language with the current chord structure and the current melodies mm-hmm. and time and, and music changes. It just, it's a matter of fact, it just changes. It's not, it's not a static thing. So I think that's true to a certain extent. Um, I think that, uh, you know, well, I'll, I'll come back to this. I think that it, it's tough to write a classic. I can't make you love me. I think that would work 
pretty much any yeah, decade. And it, it, it's, it's, uh, those are rare, rare songs that sort of live. I think for some people, um, I've always said, maybe the song is there, but maybe the demo will turn someone off and it's very dated, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, even, even if it's a great song, some people might not get to it because the demo offends them because it was done back in the day when they had these guitar tones or this reverb sound. So for me, I'm a huge fan of when you go into the demo world, uh, if the song will take this, you use acoustic instruments. You don't go crazy with the reverb. You maybe do a, you do what I call a glorified work tape. And that way, that song potentially has a longer shelf life because you're not dating it with certain sounds and tones mm-hmm. and, that could. Um, but here again, going back to, and I don't remember the writer specifically, but back at Alamo at this day, a writer turned in a song and it had, um, oh, who was the gentleman that uh, the TV show Hawaii Mustache drove the- Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. And his character was- Magnum Magnum Mm P.I. So the song had, I'll hunt you down, like something like, I'll hunt you down like Magnum P.I. Okay. And I thought, you know what? You just put a timestamp on this. This is a very because this show will be over and then it will be dated. Mm-hmm. And for me, in situations like that, use a timeless character. Right. You know, there, there's other. So you just have to be careful with some some things like that. So I think a lot of these, you'd be amazed. A lot of songs you pull out and you're like, okay, it's the wrong language mm-hmm. at the time, and it sort of dates it a little bit. Sure. But I agree with you. There's a I know for a fact there's a lot of great songs sitting on a shelf and. And uh, and you hope and you hear these great stories every once in a while of these songs that have been sitting around for five, ten, fifteen years, and somebody finds it and discovers it and said, "Okay, that's that's what I want to do." Mm-hmm. And we all celebrate that. Yeah. So nowadays, we'll talk more about Writer's Den here in a minute. But as as a publisher, mm-hmm. when someone sends you a work tape. How do you, uh, I mean, you just explained, you know, kind of make it more acoustic and, you know, just be kind of conservative on right. certain tones or whatever. Um, I hear some people say, just give me a guitar vocal, just a piano or right. a piano vocal. And I, that's good. That's all that I want because mm-hmm. that helps me be able to decide whether or not, you know, where it, where the song could go. I hear the other side of things where I want it as polished as finished i want right. to sound like the right. actual cd that's going to be released to the world yep. you know and get it that way um and then yours sounds like you're sort of in the middle you're kind of in that in between spot and can you can you talk to which of those three i'm assuming you're no, I, I know where the middle going. is the yeah. best for you but yeah. why does one work better than the other or why would you well th- th- go ahead uh the guitar vocal, piano vocal, strip, I personally, that is my thing. I love that. Now, just if, that. I, I love that. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, now, if the song is something that, that, that needs a fuller band, more you're driving up-tempo, you, you might want to put some more in there. But by and large, a lot of things can get by with just guitar vocal. For, and this is why I love it, because that's the way I hear it when the writer plays it for me. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing getting in the way of the lyric. I get okay. to focus on the lyric and the melody, and that's what everything is built off. I love that. It's just bare bones because you can, 
you know, I remember a producer told me one time, I asked him this question. I said, how do you want these songs that you're going to play for these artists? How would you prefer them? And he said, Bobby, I would prefer a guitar vocal. And here's why. If you bring me a fully produced song, and I know, and I love this song, but I know I'm not going to produce it that way, I've got to sit with this artist and start subtracting, telling what I'm going to take away. Mm-hmm. And they, a lot of times, look at me puzzled. They can't subtract. It's a hard thing to do. You're hearing it in one way, right. and we're going to do it a completely different way. If you give me a guitar vocal, and I say, we're going to start adding this, they get it. Sure. They fall right into it. Yeah. That's how I want it. Now, there are other people in town that you sometimes you have to give them the record. Right. Because for whatever reason, they might not be able to hear what it could be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I've worked with writers that made great, I mean, their demos were better than the record. Their demos were the template for the record. Right. And it, it was a great song, but it was a great produced demo. And they just turned it into a master. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that, but I, I just, I'm a big fan of the stripped down mm-hmm. version for a number of reasons. A lot of times, the, the young songwriters, we don't have a, they don't have a lot of money. And I'm a huge fan of not spending money unless you absolutely have to. Right. And the marketplace where it is right now, to be honest, I cannot remember the last time I went into the studio and hired a band and recorded songs to be pitched. Mm-hmm. That. I hope it comes back to that, but right now that's really not where it is. And this town is absolutely full of what I consider the best pickers and players there are. And it's it's tough to be a, a musician in this town these days because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a huge here again. I'm a huge fan of guitar vocals or what I call glorified work tapes. You know, do a couple of guitar passes, a lead vocal, maybe a harmony part, and most most songs can be pitched that way. Now, can you do like a, a guitar and a piano and a vocal? Like, would you suggest that or would you say no? Or well, like, what's your... It depends if the song asks for it. Sure. You know, I'm just trying to think, you know, what would be your limit? Say, this is too much. You know, this is there's too many instruments at this point. You know, it's just starting to get in the way, you know. and Well, I, I mean, you know, I, I, you know what I prefer. Right. But here again, the song will tell you what it needs. It dictates. Needs. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard to say, only do this. Yeah. If, if a song... And it's different for everybody. Like, Correct. You know, some publishers are going to say, "I want full. I want the full thing." Right. Like he's right. talked about, and some want what you want. Right. And it's not wrong either way. Correct. You know, everybody's got their own opinion to it, but uh, but I think it's important for yeah. listeners. But to it know. breaks my heart when I I meet a young writer and they've they've uh, they've dressed their songs up in a way that don't need to be dressed up, mm-hmm. and they've spent a lot of money that maybe they didn't need to. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, so now you're a company with Writer's Den. Mm-hmm. So how did you switch from the previous company into creating Writer's Den? And- so I was at this company called Almo Irving for uh, 14 years. Um, started there in 90. Uh, in 2000, Universal Music acquired it. And then uh, and then I'd, I'd moved up to creative director. And there at the very end, I'd moved up to running the Nashville office. And then... Uh, Universal sort of finally just sort of took it all under under place, and another gentleman mm-hmm. came in and took that over. Now let me ask you real quick. Yeah, moving up the ladder in that in that company, mm-hmm. 
up to running it. Mm-hmm. So you started off in the in the tape, tape room, copy. yeah, tape copy up to to running the company. Right. Um, every time you move to a new position, that's because someone else left, basically, or uh, or well, uh, yes, either either a position was created, or uh, in in the case of. Uh, David Conrad, who had founded the national office of Alamo Irving, he had left to go to a label. Okay. And so I got moved up to his, into his spot. Yeah. So uh, for, for people listening that are wanting to get into working at a company like that, you know, you don't walk in and go to the top or even in the middle. Like it's, you start at the tape copy room. Yeah. Or in the mail room, depending on what type. Unless of... you're Doug Howard, then you start in the tape copy, and then you go to law school, and you come back and you run the company. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which I think Gordon maybe referenced. Gordon, in his, yeah, Gordon yeah. referred to him uh, as well. So uh, I just want people to know because, you know, I, I don't know if people understand all the time that, you know, it, this is a hard business to get into, yeah. and it's all relationship based for the most part. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, there's yes, you have to have talent if you're on the creative side of things, but. On the business side, you know, you don't just walk into and kind of take over on right. on some company. You got to work your way up, you know. But it's relationships, uh-huh. and it's someone leaving and giving you an opportunity to move into something higher that you that you wouldn't have gotten into had that person probably left right. or moved to something else within right. the company as well. That kind of thing. So, um, but trying yeah. to let people now it, I mean, hear that from your perspective. I hate to say it, but resumes mean absolutely nothing. In this business, no people just don't even give it to us. Just throw it in the. We might look at it and then it's going in the trash. Okay. It's going to be, uh, we're going to pick up and call who you know or who you've worked with or whatever reference. It's or you're going to, it, it's it's that one on one that you you trust these people that you know that you've mm-hmm. built relationships with and and you find out who who has impressed them. Yeah. You know, well, so. just like us sitting here today, had Gordon Kennedy. You know, if I didn't call you and say, "Hey, Gordon Kennedy referred me," that was your that was you. your that was that my end. the door, right? Right. If I hadn't done that, we wouldn't be talking here today, right. more right. than likely. Right. You know, but but because you trust Gordon, right, and his friendship, and he and I've been friends for a few years, mm-hmm. and so you know that there's a just an amount of trust within that that allows us to to do that, and Correct. so we get to sit here and talk and and build a friendship and a relationship with each other doing this, you know, so. This is how it works. Welcome to the music business. That's exactly right. So, all right. So now, uh, you, so you've moved and tell me about Riders Den, please. Yeah. So, um, Riders Den. Wow. Um, so when I I left uh, Almo, uh, I had the opportunity to take some time off, and I did. I took almost a year off just to sort of. You, you don't really realize at the time. I mean, yes, it is the fun business, but you're sort of you don't realize that when it stops, you have a moment to breathe, you're exhausted. And so uh, I took a little time off, tried to figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, and I started a little publishing company working with a couple little writers sort of on my own. And uh, But then I got a phone call from uh, an individual starting a brand new label, and they wanted me to come on board and start the publishing wing of that. Uh, and that was in 2007. Um, and it was a company called Montage, and it was uh, owned, uh, privately owned by an individual out of uh, St. Louis. So I came on board, started that, um, and that ran, that lasted for, I think, maybe three or so years, something like that. And then the gentleman that was funding all of this decided to close the label. 
but he apparently liked the publishing company and left that alone. Well, at that point in time, the publishing company was called Montage. I turned it, I changed the name to Writer's Den, sort of didn't want to be associated with a sinking ship kind of thing. And I liked the term Writer's Den. The office we had at the time, it looked like a big comfy den, and I knew that writers liked that comfortable Mm -hmm. feeling. So Writer's Den sort of came into, into play. And then that lasted for a couple more years until the gentleman out of St. Louis said, you know what, I'm done. I don't understand this business. And he didn't. Um, and he closed it. And then uh, about nine months later, I met another business person. And long story short, we acquired Writer's Den, that catalog. And we started it up again. And that ran up until... Um, this is 2020 that ran up until the end of 2018 and, uh, through some unfortunate events that happened, he is out and I have acquired the writer's den catalog myself. So I've got it all. Okay. Uh, so these, the writer's den, this company, I started with song one and we're up to close to around 3000 copyrights now. Okay. And so, uh, who are some of the writers um, or songs that people would know that are a part of your catalog now? Uh, wow, you don't have to love me anymore, Alan Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a, um, you know, I want to. I'm going I'm to pause here for just sure. a second. So there is, and I'll come back to this. We've had some Bonnie rate cuts, but I want to talk about one specifically, if I can. Sure. So, and this is speaking specifically to the writers that you have to write what you know, what you, um, what you're going through. So there's a writer that I was that I'd signed by the name of Bonnie Bishop, and I'm at this meeting elsewhere outside the office, and I get this text. And I don't know if I've ever told this story publicly, but but I get this text from Bonnie going, "I'm in your office. I need to see you now." And I could tell by the something's. Mm-hmm. So I left this meeting and uh, and showed up at my office, and Bonnie was sitting in there, and I could tell she was very upset, and I thought, something's, we need to talk. Went in and closed the door, and um, and I said, what's going on? And she said, I'm leaving my husband. Hmm. He doesn't even know yet. You're the first person to know. And we sat in there for probably a couple of hours, um, and we talked and we cried and we talked and we cried. And, and at the very end of that conversation, um, as she tells it, I got this little smirk on my face. And she said, what are you smiling about? And I said, there's going to be a great song that comes out of this if you're willing to go there. And um, I guess it was about two weeks later, she had a co-write with a gentleman by the name of Al Anderson. And the very first song that she wrote was about that experience. And it was pitched to Bonnie Raitt, and she cut it. Hmm. And um, and for me, I tell writers all the time, you don't have to make anything up. Write your story. You've got everything you need in your in your life. We don't need another love song in this town, but we've never heard your version of it. And... Uh, and that was a valuable lesson for all of us to learn right there. If it, especially in, it, with these emotionally places, if if a writer is willing to go there and keep peeling away the layers of the onion, 
you don't have to make anything up. Your story has already been written. You just have to tell it. Right. You know, so it's uh, whether you're experiencing moments of joy or moments of sadness or sorrow or whatever, just take that and don't write from the brain, write from the heart, and and the truth will come out. And I think people, when they hear the truth, they know it and they respond to it, you know. Um, I think if you if you write too much from the head, it's uh, depending on the song, but if you write too much from the head, it's just people see that as well. Mm-hmm. And um, sure. anyway, it's... Uh, but we've had cuts by Bonnie and, and Alan Jackson and some uh, number of songs placed on the TV show Nashville. Yep. Uh, just a, a, a multitude of folks. And here again, this is fighting for, you know, as we were talking earlier, if I don't have another song put in this catalog, I've got enough. Sure. I mean, the, the hits are there. The songs are there. Um, going to back to some of the discussion we were having earlier, uh, this is, I would probably do this for nothing, um, uh, but we are fortunate that we we're getting paid for this and we're making a little bit of money. And I've got a smile on my face all the time, even though we hear the word no all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to be comfortable with that. And it hurts the first few hundred times or thousand times you hear that because yeah. we get we get rejected all the time. Uh, but when I hear the word, I hear when I hear the word no, I hear the I hear not now, right? Not now. Um, and why do you think it is that? I mean, you've got like I said it's about three thousand songs in your mm-hmm. catalog and songs that you know are hits because you've had you know you've got Alan Jackson and Bonnie Raitt recording recording your songs. They're yeah. they're hits. You know, if you know that you've got that caliber of songs and that number of songs. What is it about someone saying no? Like, why, why would, I know it's a really random or really. No, no, that's a great question. Like, why would so, you know, like, what, does some, what tells someone to say no to a song that you know is a hit? Well, you know, here again, it's an art. Yeah. It's not a science. And it's an opinion. It, it is 100% an opinion. And, and, uh. You know, a songwriter can come in and play me a song, and I can love it, and then go play for another person, and they and they don't, and we're both right and we're both wrong. Mm-hmm. So, I think it helps in this business if you if you can. You know, here again, it's about doing your homework. Find out people that sort of have similar taste to you. You know, and 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 bring those people in close, and uh, if you in the course of this, when you find people that have different taste. Understand what that taste is and what they're looking for. Um, I mean, there's songs that I absolutely love in this catalog that uh, have not found a home yet that I will continue fighting for. And there's songs in this catalog that aren't necessarily my thing, but I still think they have a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. And you have to put your personal sort of feelings aside sometimes and and pitch those songs. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean... we are constantly pitching songs that we're maybe not huge fans of, but we understand uh, that there's value in those songs, and they can they can still find a home. Um, I mean, it's 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 uh, 
it's it's an educated guessing game. Sure. I think one thing that's important for people to understand too is when you're writing and pitching a song that it's if you're writing a song that would fit Bonnie Raitt, mm-hmm. you have to know Bonnie Raitt's style. Mm-hmm. You don't write a song for Luke Bryan or Jason Aldean and then pitch it to Bonnie Raitt or vice versa. You know, because it's two different right. things. And, you know, Luke Bryan is this pop country, bro country, dancey kind of music. Right. Bonnie Raitt is not that. She is a bluesy. Older, you know, white, female, bluesy. I mean, there's a lot, you know, she's lived a lot of life. Yeah. So, I mean, it's know? just two different things. So sure. you got to know when, if you're writing a song for an artist, you don't write something you think, oh, you know, that's a Bonnie Raitt style and pitch it to Luke Bryan. Correct. Sure. Or vice versa. Sure. You know, so you got to know your and, audience. And you be honest, you have to be careful pitching to Bonnie because you know, she's going to make, when she cuts it, it's going to be a Bonnie Raitt song. Right. So you better be careful and not make it, not picture what is so obvious, you know? And I think that's true of, 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 of a, a number of artists. Uh, Chris Stapleton, you don't, you wouldn't pitch him. I mean, you just have to, here again, you have to do your homework. Mm-hmm. You You can't. Here's a good example. So back at Alamo, there were some writers that wrote this song. We thought, well, and they thought this is a Dixie Chicks smash. So they went in and they demoed it like a Dixie Chicks record. And it sounded great. And we pitched it to the chicks and they put it on hold. They fell in love with it. And it almost got cut, mm. but it didn't. So we thought, well, let's go to try to find another home for it. Well, as we start playing it for people, the reaction we got was, wow, this sounds like a Dixie Chicks song. Have they? Yeah, they heard it and passed on it. So in their mind, they thought, ooh, something must be wrong on it. They passed on it. That's not the... It, so you have to be very careful when you create these things and, and that you're not... You're not creating these things that are, are too much like them or mm-hmm. on top sure, of them. Because sure. most... You know, don't pitch what they've done. Pitch what they might be doing. You, know, right. you sort of try to stay ahead of that a little bit. You yeah. don't want to pitch what was on the last record. You want you want to pitch what where you think they might go to the next. Yeah, record. that's a good point. But that's also like the hardest thing to do. Yeah, that's like that's almost an impossible. It, it's I say that it's it feels like it's an impossible task. And I've been in that position where because I pitched, I had some songs I had written and recorded. I had met met a guy that was working with Rascal Flatts. This mm-hmm. was years ago, like their third album, something like that they were into. Uh, and I asked him, I was like, hey, can I, can I send you a couple songs just to get your, you know, get your thoughts on it, and, you know, that I thought might fit, fit them. And he listened to it. He liked the songs. He said, you know, that sounds like what they've already done. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, they were songs I had recorded from, for myself at the time, but I was like willing to pitch it to them anyway. Right. Um, He's like, you know, think five years ahead. You know, write something right. that's going, that they're going to record five years from now. I'm like, right. how how do I how on earth do I think five years ahead? Like, how do you even do that? <laughs> you know, that, it's like let an me, impossible task. Yeah, let me, I know what he's saying, right. but how do you accomplish that? How would you tell someone when you well, tell somebody that? Like, what do you mean? Yeah, uh, real quickly, if I could, for sure. your listeners, because I just realized the, the Bonnie Raitt song that we got cut. Uh, out of all that was a tune called Not Cause I Wanted To. Okay. So please go back and listen to that. Sure. It's a beautiful piece of work. So you bring up a good point. Um, my personal opinion, 
I think it's, um, how do I say this? I, I'm not sure it's the best thing for writers to sit in a room and try to write for a certain artist. To me, that's, that's men, and there are some people that are great at that, mm-hmm. uh, but you're, you're manufacturing these things. I've always been of the opinion that I will make my writers aware of what the marketplace is looking for. But when you go into that room, and if there's something coming out of that creative faucet, you write the heck out of it. Um, I don't want to tell a writer what to write because I think that's that sometimes puts them in a corner mm-hmm. uh, that would make them uncomfortable. But I will make them aware of what the marketplace is looking for. But I'm I'm just a huge fan of, you know, you, here again, do your research, be aware of all this stuff, but then go into your creative zone and and write what write what you feel, write what you believe. Um, I've said before that I'm I'm not looking for the next. Craig Wiseman. I'm not looking for the next Gordon Kennedy. I'm looking for the first you. Right. Because you you don't look like anybody else. You don't walk like anybody else. You don't talk like anybody else. Your life is unique to you. And going back to the truth, draw from what you know, what you feel, the experiences that you've you've gone through. Uh, write your dreams. Write write what scares you. Write write all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be familiar to all of us, but it's going to be unique to you. And that gives it a chance to stand out. Uh, so, you know, here again, there are people that are good at doing, of, of just making stuff up and writing for a marketplace. Uh, I think those are pretty much rare. Um, but I think the best advice to a young writer is write what you know. I mean, it doesn't get any, any more complicated than that. Understand the business. Learn all you can. Learn what the marketplace is looking mm-hmm. for. You know, if, if I mean, it, here again, it's the music business, not the music. I'll do whatever I want, and I hope it works. Right. <laughs> so you you understand the business part of it. Yeah. And if you're like any other business, if you're if you're making shoes, and you're making these beautiful brown shoes, and they fit well, and they feel good, and they're comfortable, but all the marketplace wants is black shoes and you're not going to adapt, you're probably going to go hungry. Mm-hmm. So you're doing this thing, just maybe turn it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Still do what you're doing, just change the color a little bit. Just be aware, hey, there is a marketplace, and they need this. Right. You know. Yeah. And that's big in the TV, film world, music for, for that. So like when, you did, like when you're working on the show Nashville. Yeah. You know, like there's specific types of songs that they're wanting a certain sound that they're looking for right you know to fit that show yeah now if you're if you're getting in the sync world yeah. you better forget the guitar vocal oh yeah no yeah. i'm yeah. in the sync world so it's right. got to be yeah there's no time for demos right you have to turn in something that's completely finished ready, ready to, to go. go because they have and to have clear. it in 24 hours yeah <laughs> you're right know? exactly you're exactly right yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a that's a fast moving world yeah now you do know? you work in that at all some okay yeah but it's, what, uh, what has it, your experience been with that? I'm just curious, like your how that works for you. It's uh, well, I've got a few contacts, and I get these emails or phone calls. Hey, we we need this by tomorrow at one o'clock, mm-hmm. you know. And you have to here again, you better know your catalog, and so you have to go through that catalog, and you have to figure out, okay, is this where is all the publishing stand? Who owns the master? Because all this stuff has to be clear before you you send it out their way. Mm-hmm. So it's good to sort of know your catalog and maybe already have that stuff over in a corner somewhere. Yeah. Um, or you better have a writer that you can give them that information and they can create this thing in a box mm-hmm. and 
yep. present it to you in 12 hours yep. kind of thing. Yep. And uh, if you can do that, you can carve out your own little niche. You know, it's uh, Shelby Kennedy, who is Gordon's, one of Gordon's brothers, uh, talking about the way the business has changed. I'm sort of moving here on you a little bit. Yeah. It used to be when somebody lost a job or was looking for a job, it was sort of, Shelby said it was like musical chairs. If somebody got up and moved over here, there was a chair to be filled. In this music business, there is no other chair. And Shelby said, we have to learn how to make our own chair now. Right, just in the music industry in general. to create our own chair. Right. So coming back to the sync world, if you've got that capability and that talent and you can start building your own catalog Make, make your own chair. Find out what makes you unique. Find out who needs something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're a songwriter and you're, you better understand what it is you do and be very honest with yourself and who might be looking for something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're doing what everybody else is doing, it might be good work, but it might not stand out. Yeah. You just have to, here again, we, we need the first you, not the second anybody else. Right. Yeah, sync is very is very interesting and very specific. There's only five or six genres that they typically work with. Mm-hmm. There's only five or six themes that they typically work with. And so you're limited in a good way. Like you, it gives you a target. Right. You know, there's certain, certain things that you have to hit, you know, specifically in sync music um, if you're going to be successful in it. Right. You know, and, and the ability to turn over music really, really quickly and have it high quality and those types of things. So. Yeah. It's just it's just about it's really about creating a mood, yeah. you know, that because the action is happening on the screen mm-hmm. and they need this mood underneath to, to support that. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask you this: um, for someone that writes f- music for sync, now you can I know that you can be signed to a publisher and write music for sync because for the uh, the writers that work with you. You're pitching their music for sync opportunities when when that comes up. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in the sync world don't want artists and writers to be signed to a publisher. They want you to own your own publishing. You're a one-stop shop, you know, that they can clear it straight directly from you and not have to worry about getting someone else to sign off on it. Mm-hmm. Two or three different publishers mm-hmm. if you got multiple writers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So would you ever work with for people listening that are wanting to they live in the sync world, but they also want to write country music or mm-hmm. they want to write pop music and they mm-hmm. want to be signed to a publisher. They're scared to sign to a publisher because then they feel like I can't write sync any longer because I'm not, I'm no longer a one-stop shop. You know, would you ever work with people in that position, you know, on a, like a, a single song contract basis, Sure. you know, to where they've still owned their own publishing for this world over here, but you can work with them over in this world here. One of the most important phrases I learned getting into this business was that everything is negotiable. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, here's another great thing about about sort of where we are uh, in this day and time that when I got into this business, you know, here's the way the deals are structured and that's it. We're not going to, they're not going to move too much. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, everything is negotiable. Okay. So, uh, I'll never say no, but I'll say let's talk about it and see if we can figure out a way that works and makes sense to us. Mm-hmm. You know, I will say this to your point that I agree. Uh, music supervisors they want they want everything ready to go. They want to make one phone call if yeah. they even have to do that. Uh, 
and it is good if somebody owns the master and the publishing and they've created it. It, it, it is a one stop. Yep. But I was told early on by Music Soup, he said, um, don't give me anything but yes songs. I went, what do you mean? He said, if I make a phone call and I ask you to use this, all I want to hear is yes. I want everything to be pre-cleared. So if we've got songs that have two or three publishers and writers and master owners, before I pitch that, I make sure everything is pre-cleared. So they know that okay. if they want to use this song, they can. So, so you, I, I avoid that taking three or four days to get an answer. Right. You're going to go talk to the other publishers and the other writers ahead of time. Absolutely. And get their sign-off on it. Absolutely. Yes, we can do this. And yep. then you pitch it to the yep. supervisor. That way they know they can make one call and they're good to go. Yeah. So we avoid that. You want to avoid that situation where, oh, I think so. Let me, I'll get back to you in a day. Too long. Yeah. Move on. So what you're saying is that once you've talked to the other publishers and the mm-hmm. writers and they're saying, yes, we'll agree to this, you're calling the supervisor to pitch the song. And yeah. then, but, so the, the supervisor still has to call those other publishers nope. and writers. To in, in not, at, not at that one point. I mean, at that point, they'll say, wait, there's three. You know, I'll pitch a song and they'll say, well, there's three writers on here and there's four publishers. I've talked to them all. We're pre-clear. We're ready to go. So they make a call to me. If they want to use it and say, hey, we're going to use this. Can we put this in the film? Yes, I told you it's already pre-cleared. And then we'll start the paperwork and all that stuff. Okay. But all they have to do is just quick email, phone call, and they're good to go. Yeah. Uh, but I, then at that point, you got to go get the signatures for the other people, though, just to so it's all on paper. But it's yeah. all, yes, it's all, they've it, all yeah, said all, ahead of time. No. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Good yeah. to know. So there's, there's again, everything's negotiable and there's ways around right. it if you, yeah. if you want. Uh, what are you looking for? In songwriters, wow. when you're wanting to, to sign somebody, you're considering signing somebody, what is it that you're looking for? So somebody listening is a songwriter, and they're like, I'm looking to get a publishing deal as a country writer. Now, is country all that you do? No. You do everything. No, 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 no. Ah, this see, is where good. I go back to this 14-year-old kid sitting in his room with headphones on. Yeah. You know, and, I get, and, and a song comes in, and I get to pitch it wherever. Right. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. If it's got a melody... I've said before, if I can whistle it, I'm in. Okay. If it's got a melody and a lyric that that does something to me, I'm in. Mm-hmm. I'll let me go with it. Uh, so, so what genres do you do you typically work with? Like, what are your your main things that you like to try well, to pitch we're, for? We're all music row, so obviously you try to do that. Uh, but Americana, okay. bluegrass, blues, jazz, R and B, gospel, southern gospel, Christian. It's just, it's this fourteen year old kid that I keep referencing that's going wow I want to listen to that tonight mm-hmm. on my headphones it's mm-hmm. it's that it's just something that moves me so what am I looking for in a writer uh, Marty the most honest answer is I have no idea I absolutely have no idea I'm going back to what I said before I'm I know I'm not looking for the next whatever right I'm looking for the first you right you know there are um, there are artists out there that you know within the first few syllables who that artist is, mm-hmm. whether it was Waylon or Willie or Stapleton, whoever. You just know. You They don't have to say who this is. They have that thumbprint. Mm-hmm. And I think great writers have that same thumbprint. We can hear somebody's song on the radio, and we can probably, oh, you know, that writer was a writer on that song. has mm-hmm. to be because I can hear them mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I'm looking for that, whatever that is, 
and I'm looking for someone that tells me a song that I've heard a thousand times told from a slightly different angle. I don't know what that is. You just sort of know it when you hear it. Right. Um, the it factor. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I, I've never heard a great breakdown of what that is. You just, yeah, you, you, just you, you know it. Yeah. And I don't want to hear a breakdown. Right. Sure. Again, it's, it's, you know, when you go to a museum and you see a piece of art that speaks to you, you don't necessarily, it just does. Mm-hmm. And you just know that, wow, who, who did this? I want to mm-hmm. see what else they've done. Let me ask you this. How would you suggest someone approach you that wants, that's looking for a publishing deal? Like, uh, you know, they, they want to be a writer, a staff writer, or an artist writer, however that, that works for them. But they're wanting to get a publishing deal. How would you suggest that they reach out to you? Like, what is the connection? I mean, obviously relationships. The reason sure. I'm talking to you is because of Gordon Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. there's that. There's that. Is Does it have to be a reference from someone else to get to you? Can someone just walk up, knock on the door, or give you a phone call? Uh, you, know, uh, how? you know what? I would love to say yes, but the fact of the matter is there's 24 hours in a day, and, mm-hmm. uh, and those hours are taken up by my family, my wife, mm-hmm. uh, it's taken up by, you got to sleep a little bit. Uh, it's taken up by the writers that I have a, uh, a loyalty to that I'm working with. And then there's the job of just having meetings and being out. So there's not a lot of whole extra. So mm-hmm. I used to tell people, yeah, just call me. Email, I'll listen to everything. I'm a sponge. I'll, but you can't do that and be productive to everything else that you need to be sure. productive to. So I do a number of workshops uh, seminars, conferences around the country through the year. So I'm at those. And when I'm at those, grab me. I'm in the hallway. That's why I'm there, to discover things. Okay. But usually we hear it's word of mouth. We, I would hear Gordon would call me and go, oh, I just ran across this great writer yeah. or someone from ASCAP or BMI or CSAC or people that we know. It's a it, nice little network. You, 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 just, you hear about it. Or I occasionally stumble upon it out at these venues that we frequent. Um, so let me let's let me think, ask you this. Oh. So if you're going to a writer's night, uh-huh. how often do you hear a song and go, "I love that song. I don't want to talk to that writer." Like, does does that happen very often? It doesn't happen very often, but it happens occasionally. Okay. Um, and, and it usually happens when you're not expecting it. So what does that? What would you say to the people if you're going? How many writers' nights a week would you go to on average? You think? Uh, now, one to two nights a week. Used okay. to be every night. Okay. So say you do two a week mm-hmm. and there's usually, let's just say four people right. at a writer's night. So there's eight people. Out of two nights and eight people, how many of those people do you think you would talk to? Hmm. Boy, you're putting, that's a, you're putting numbers. I have I mean, well, rare. I mean, it's rare. It, okay. It, sure. So my question is. For the people, there's eight people uh-huh. that you've listened to in a week, and you're going to listen to for songs. Like that's your I, that's your purpose. Is you're going to listen for music, right? Right. Because you're thinking this might be someone that I would be interested in, in working with. That's the that's the reason why you're doing this, right? Right. If there's eight people over two nights that are not getting your attention, why are they not getting your attention? What are they not? What is it about their song? Maybe the way they're playing, their personality, their vocal. What is it that's turning you off? To say, uh, not not right now. It, it, for those that know me, for those that have met with me, I close my eyes when I listen to music because I want to see 
the movie that you've created, hopefully, mm -hmm. or feel the emotion that I'm supposed to be feeling. Okay. I, I want to get into it, just like a movie. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those factors. I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. Okay. it plain and simple. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's there's still a few clubs in town that I'll, I'll sort of sneak in the back door and listen to a round or two. And then I can leave and nobody knows I'm there. And it's just, it's a, I, I still do that quite a bit. Um, I don't have to spend the whole evening there. But mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just constantly looking for something that's going to just speak to me. Mm -hmm. um, I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but it's tell me a story I've heard before a thousand times that I've never an angle that I've never heard it from. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, um, and it could be Marty. It could be maybe it's not the song per se, but it could be just a couple of lines in that song that I that I thought that's new and fresh that I will now I'll go okay let's talk because mm -hmm. maybe that's the tip of the iceberg of something. Sure. Uh, so I'm not necessarily looking for a completed work, okay. uh, but, but potentially maybe just bits of it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, there could be some potential there. So that and that's good to know because that you're thinking maybe there's another song based off of that couple right. of lines. So right. let's let's scrap the rest of it. Let's take what that thing that stuck out. Yeah, you know and what? Create something different. Yeah, and going back to Craig Wiseman. Craig, I can remember early on. You know, he would come in, and, and you just knew he was just full of talent. Mm -hmm. And Craig would come in, and he'd play these songs, and that's pretty good. And then, wow, that's really good. And that's pretty good. But you could watch over time. You know, he would come in and bounce these things off of us, and maybe there would be a line or two or three that you, you might suggest tweaking. Uh, but then over time, as he worked at his craft, well, there's really nothing to say here. It's all it's complete. And it got to a point, Craig didn't really need us in that capacity anymore. He had honed his craft where he knew he could he had that third eye and that third ear that he could look at and go, mm -hmm. okay, this is right, this is wrong. And it, and he was he was building these things that were ready to go. Mm -hmm. And uh you know, with Craig, I mean, he's a perfect example of not only did he have God-given talent, but he had incredible work ethic. Mm -hmm. And there was only one thing that you can control, really. You can't control whether you've got God-given talent, but you can control a work ethic. Mm -hmm. And he was at the top of the list on, in that. Yeah. He worked hard at his craft. Yeah. Do you do single-song contracts? Do you prefer to do a year-long contract or...? I prefer to sign writers. Uh, I have done over the course of these years maybe a handful of single song. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not looking for single songs. I'm really looking for writers and long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like signing writers for short term. I just think you need to give. In in most instances, you want to go long term, mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes it doesn't work out and you you part your ways. You know, uh, I, I prefer to court a writer or date a writer for a period of time before because we have to know each other yeah before you sign them correct correct yeah. and there's been times in the past where you you sign writers and for whatever reason it doesn't work out and you have to go okay we we cannot help ourselves mm -hmm. we cannot help each other we need mm -hmm. to part ways and move on no hard feelings uh but typically uh, you know ben cooper there was a writer i signed by the name of ben cooper and he was just coming out of Belmont College, and I heard bits and pieces, and we, and I, we just started meeting, and we kept meeting, and we we met for probably eleven months before it just felt like the time to do it. Mm -hmm. And I introduced Ben to Gordon, 
and they did a lot of writing together. And uh, there's a there's a Ricky Skaggs album by the name of Mosaic. Oh yeah, and they're all over that record. Yeah, you know, and it was just that. Here again, I I just had a gut feeling about Ben, and and I liked his work ethic and what he was doing, and I had a gut feeling that he and Gordon would work together, and it just it created this thing, and I wasn't trying to analyze anything; it was just all from the gut. Yeah. So. So in that in that eleven month period, before you signed him, and you guys are just meeting and getting to know each other, is he writing songs to play for you to kind right. of, that right. you're just listening to? You're not you're not committed to anything. Correct. You're just saying, let me hear what you've got. Right. Now, let's, let's 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 meet every couple of weeks and let me hear what you've done and mm-hmm. let's talk about it and let's start breaking the songs down and figuring out what works and what doesn't work and right. and uh, and you could just see the growth mm-hmm. and the commitment and um, you know that's going back to what am I looking for? I, let me answer it this way: I'm looking for a certain amount of talent. I think it's that's got to be there, but more than anything, I'm looking for a work ethic. Mm-hmm. I think you can come to this town with with some talent and if you have the work ethic to apply to that you can you can turn it into something. I think there's uh you can probably ask anybody in this business. We we all know people that are just stupidly blessed with talent but they didn't have the work ethic. Mm-hmm. And coulda woulda shoulda. Yep. And we all know people that have some talent and an incredible work ethic and they're killing it. Yeah. And that's one of the things that uh, I keep coming back to the whole title of the podcast. You can make a living in the music industry. The people that are able to make a living in the music industry are those of us that never give up. Right. When, when, when it gets hard and others have walked away and they've given up and gone back home, those that have stayed and continue to fight for it are yeah. the ones. Yeah, I mean, there is no guarantee in this business. No. Any other, a lot, most other businesses, you know, you, you, you get a degree in mechanical engineering and you go off and you do your theme because it's just black and white. Yeah. In this business, it's it's a it's a wing and a prayer. But um, it's sort of like the lottery. I've never known anyone to win the lottery that didn't buy a ticket. Yeah. You know, and every day that you show up, you're buying a ticket, and every song that you write, you're buying a ticket, and you're giving yourself opportunities. Not a guarantee, but opportunities. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, you have to keep at it, mm-hmm. and and you know, immerse yourself. In, in this business, in this world, because we all want you to succeed, you know, and find those people that will reach their hand out and give you a, a leg up mm-hmm. and uh, and do the same. Mm-hmm. When it happens for you, do the same for others. Right. So just to wrap up, um, I mean, you've given tons of advice, and I'm grateful for it. Is, is there anything that we haven't talked about uh, advice-wise that you would give either writers or artists that are coming into music, not necessarily just Nashville, but just wanting to move to Music City to make a living in music, whether it be on the on the artist side or on the business side, because you, you're from the business side of things, mm-hmm. but, um, but you're working with artists who are coming to connect with you specifically. Yeah. Um, but what, what's some, something that, you know, some things to do, some things maybe not to do? Well, it, I think it's uh, a couple things. Um, I sort of say sometimes, if, if we don't see you, if we don't hear you, you don't exist. Somebody else has taken that place. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there is, I, I think you, you come into this and you approach it from, you need to be out and about, and you, but you need to be out at the right places. You have to be smart about this. You have to figure out where, if you're a young writer coming to this town, 
Give yourself the best opportunities you can. Be out and play out. Okay. And I think the ratio of, I think you need to play out one night, for example, and be out four or five or six. I think being out is because you never know who you're going to be standing next to. You never know who you're going to see on stage. You might go, wow, that's my next co-writer. Or or I think they have artist potential and you start developing a relationship with them. And next thing you know, you're, you're writing for their first record. These happy accidents happen. Mm-hmm. But I think you need to play out um, just so you give opportunity for people to see you. And I think there are certain venues that the industry, there's a good likelihood the industry will be at. Okay. And can I you, th- can you, being in Nashville, can you name any ones that you would recommend people be? Well, I'm always going, going to, to, you know, the local or Belcourt Taps or Douglas Corner, Third uh, and Lindsley. Uh, uh, I mean, there's a lot of those kind of places that the industry will be at. Mm-hmm. There's a good chance some of the industry will be there. And there's others. Um, there's a lot of other places where the tourists are going to be. Right. And everybody's having a good time. And maybe you'll get fed playing at this venue. And maybe you'll, you'll get paid a little bit. And that's fun. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it might not be the smartest move to, to do a lot of that because what's going to come from that? Right. Long term. Sure. Potentially. Yeah. Uh, so... It's, you know, and I'm a big fan of if you're playing out at these venues, uh, and especially if you're a young writer, you're going to find, I call it, you're going to find your class of people, mm-hmm. fellow writers to right. rise up with. Right. And that's typically going to be at the earlier shows, the 5 o'clock, 5.30, 6, 6.30 shows. Okay. And you want to be hanging around those folks and start making those relationships and and. You know, it, it's like high school. You sort of find your class, and if mm-hmm. somebody pops, sort of ri- everybody else rises up with that. Right. I have seen a lot of people come to town. And they think, okay, Willie did it this way, Waylon did it this way. Let's go out and party and raise all kinds of craziness. And um, that's not the music business. Right. There might be a time and place for that, but there's not a lot of good that I've seen come from alcohol promises. You know, people out having a good time going, hey, we need to do this. We need to, we're going to shake up the world. Call me. Yeah. Well, they either didn't mean it or they forgot they even said it. Right. You know, and, uh, and, and there is that world and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, it's about making smart decisions, hanging out at the right places, hanging out at the right times, giving yourself opportunities and letting people see that you're, you're out and about and being proactive. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, somebody's going to take notice, and you're going to you're going to get invited into the next level. Right, that's great. I could talk to you for another two hours, but oh, I know you've got to go. Uh, you've got to go pitch some songs I've to go to work to some labels and artists and things. So, but thank you so much for your time, Bobby. Marty. This was I great. It. I appreciate it. It. Uh, I hope somebody can find. You know, there's a lot of. A lot of stuff was said. I hope somebody can find a nugget that that uh, oh, yeah. is worthwhile that they can use. Yeah, I think there's tons of tons of them in here. So there's stuff that I'm going to put into practice um, myself. That and, and I've been doing this for 20 years, and there, I'm always learning something new. So amen. Any anytime we have to be students, always. All of us. You know, there's always something to learn and to to add to your repertoire and right. and add uh, and you know to keep moving forward and 
and building your career. So I appreciate your time and for sharing all the knowledge that you have. And, and I know somebody's going to, going to use it and be, be successful because well, of it. Right so. back at you, man. This is a great thing that you're doing. Thank so you. thank you. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us once again. Didn't I tell you how amazing Bobby Reimer was going to be? I mean, what a great conversation and what a wealth of knowledge. He's done so much in this industry, and uh, I'm a huge fan of his now, obviously, So, and uh, grateful for his new friendship. So, man, I really want to make sure that you guys are taking this information to heart. Please put this into practice. He's giving you incredible information that you can use to help get your foot in the door and help make strides in in your career and what you're trying to do in this industry, no matter if it's on the creative artist side, songwriter side, or on the business side. So there's something in here for you. There's lots of things in this episode for you that you can apply. So I hope you're taking it to heart and putting it into practice. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. If you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, or FaceTime, be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.